right, so I have a word for today, all right? And if I had to title this message, I would call it Resolve. Somebody say Resolve. Yeah, so we're approaching the new year. It's, it's, it's the new year, and oftentimes we find ourselves thinking, how can we make 2020 better than 2019? Anybody want 2020? Anybody have some things they'd like to see happen differently in 2020 than they did in 2019? All right, well, the typical way that we handle that is we make New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys have made New Year's resolutions before? Okay, well, I don't mean to discourage you. I've done it too. But I read a statistic that says only 8% of people that make New Year's resolutions make it through the month of January. Yeah. So I don't mean to discourage you. It's just the problem with resolutions is that they require me to fix a problem that I cause. So I am the common denominator, which is never a good idea. They're all about your willpower and overcoming the situations that you have put yourself in. I did some research on the internet, and one of the most common resolutions is around physical health. How many of you guys ate bad over the holidays? Come on, Jesus. Praise you for that sweet potato casserole. I want some pumpkin pie. I had jambalaya, gumbo. I said yes to everything, and it was awesome. But that scale and that mirror, it don't lie. You know, so I got to make some decisions um, to, to get physically fit. I did some research online, and here's some other pretty um, comical um, resolutions that are made. If you don't like what you weigh in 2019, just get a more accurate scale, right? It's the scale's fault. Just get rid of it and shave five pounds off, right? Another one that's pretty serious, which I didn't even know this was like even a thing, but it says, in 2020, I will stop buttering my donuts. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Do people actually butter their donuts? Like Krispy Kreme with butter? I don't know, apparently it's a thing. Here's a financial one. In 2020, I will spend only the money I actually have. That's a good one. We should all make that one our resolution. No credit, right? In 2020, I will finish a stick of chapstick. Yeah, because nobody has ever started a stick of chapstick and actually finished it. Pretty entertaining. In 2020, I will go to bed when Netflix asks me, am I still watching? <laughs> Come on, where are my Netflix bingers in the house? Yes, you know who you are. Turn that sucker off. Here's one, my favorite. I will post a selfie that actually looks like myself in 2020. Come on, where are my face app users? You're adjusting your face, you're changing your mouth. Just be you, baby. Just be you. Those are great. And there is nothing wrong with resolutions. It's just that they usually don't work because they depend on us and our willpower. I'm here to tell you today that if we're going to have a better year this year than last year, we're going to need more than better willpower. We're going to need a higher power. The key to a great 2020 isn't going to be us at all. It's going to be God. We have to invite him into our situations, into our lives, into every segment and facet of what we're doing. We need a higher power. We need a power that allows us to live the lives that God paid such a high price for. So at the beginning of 2020, I'm here to tell you that no matter what 
your list of resolutions are, from the biggest, most amazing things to the smallest of things, you are going to need God if you want to accomplish them. So maybe you're here and you've had a rough 2019. I'm here to tell you that if you choose God, this could be your comeback year. So what I want to do is I want to look at the Word of God today, and I want to look at that characteristic that I talked about, and that is resolve. Say resolve one more time. Ooh, it sounds so good. The definition of resolve is to decide firmly on a course of action, firm determination to do something. At Anchor Bend, one of our core values is grit is our resolve. Because here we understand something. We understand that if we want to accomplish all God has called us to, if we want to walk in the fruits of the Spirit and walk in freedom, if we want to live the lives that God has called us to live, we're going to have to have some grit. We're going to have to have some resolve. So let's look at the Word of God. And let's look at one of the greatest stories of resolve in the Bible. And that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you guys know that story? It's a pretty popular story. They get thrown into the blazing furnace. But if we want to understand the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we first have to understand who they were and where they came from. So you can find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. They were actually friends with Daniel. So their story is in the book of Daniel. And they were part of God's chosen people. And there is this big bad-to-the-bone king. And his name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he just took over the Israelites. He just took over God's chosen people. And the first thing he does is he orders his, um, his right-hand man to do this. We're going to pick up in Daniel 1. 3 through 4, and then verse 7. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Listen to this. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Michelle, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So here we see that that wasn't even their real names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were actually Israelites. They were part of God's chosen people, but they were brought into captivity in Babylon. The Babylonian culture was one that um, was full of moral decadence, idol worship. Does that sound familiar to anyone? See, they worshiped many things, but God was not one of them. And as they sought to assimilate their new captives, what they did is they changed their names to cast confusion on their real identities. The very first Thing that it says that they did. It says the chief official gave them new names. You see, in those days when victors integrated enslaved captives into their culture, it was customary to change the captives' names as a sign of ownership. The Israelites belonged to their captors now. But these Babylonian names weren't simply new names. They were designed to obliterate their Jewish heritage. They turned truth inside out. So they changed the name Daniel, which is in its original translation, means God is my judge, to Belthazar, which means lady protect the king. 
So they literally changed his gender, come on, and took the focus off of God and onto man. From Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious. Isn't that beautiful? To Shadrach, which means I am fearful. They changed the perspective from God that is loving to one to be feared. Michelle, who can compare to my God? No one. To Meshach, I am despised and humiliated. From confidence to cowardice. Azaria, which means Yahweh has helped me. To Abednego, which means servants of Nebo. Son of God to slave of man. So we can see a strategy of our enemy here. We can see a pattern. You see, he wants to keep you in captivity. So the first thing he's going to do is attempt to get us confused about who we are and whose we are. He's gonna try to make you believe that you are not who God says you are. It has been his strategy since the beginning of time. He wants you to believe a lie about your identity. He wants to weigh you down with shame and confusion. Do any of you guys come from families with outlaws in them? Maybe you saw some of your outlaws over the holidays. Come on, somebody. Well, I come from a lineage that actually has an outlaw in it. So I wore my snakeskin boots for you guys today. (laughs) So I was going to be talking about the reality of of where I come from. This picture here is of my great, great, great grandfather. Doesn't he look angry? (laughs) My great, great, great grandfather. His name was William Fagan Dotson. He was born on June 1st, 1850 and died in July 1922. As my family did some research to understand my family lineage, we discovered that past his name, we could not find out who his parents were. So after his name on Ancestry.com, there are no records to be found. But we all knew the story of William, so the fact that we could not find his name was really of no surprise. You see, William was part of the Quan Trail Raiders gang. The gang included the leader, William Quantrell, and members Jesse James and his brother, Frank James. Have you guys ever heard of the Jesse James gang? Well, my grandfather was a part of that gang. They were first known for their pro-Confederate stance, but were disowned by the Confederacy because of their vicious and brutal tactics. They went on to be known as one of the most malicious and nastiest um, gangs of their days. They even went on to rob several different banks. You see, we couldn't find any record of my grandfather's parents because he had changed his name in order to flee from the gangs. But even with his new last name, he was known for his temper and the same brutal tactics. That temper and anger was coined as the Jones family temper. And it was passed down through generation to generation to generation to my dad and even to me. I can remember getting mad when I was a kid and hearing people say, oh, that's the Jones family temper. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I can remember thinking that this was just part of who I was. This was part of my DNA. It's literally who I believed I was. I knew that I could not change something as finite as my DNA. I couldn't change something uh, as thick as my blood heritage. 
But I'm here to tell you guys today that there is a blood that is stronger than any family lineage that you have. It is greater than any bloodline. If we're going to stand firm in a culture of compromise, if we're going to accomplish everything God has called us to, if we're going to walk in the fullness that God paid such a high price for on the cross, we're going to have to resolve who we are. I'm here to tell you today, you are who God says you are if you are a follower of Christ. You are not what your heritage says you are. You are not what your parents say you are. You are not what your friends say you are. You are not what social media says that you are. You are not what your mistakes define you as. If you're a believer, you are the righteousness of Christ. You are blessed and highly favored. You are the head, not the tail. You are chosen. You are worthy. We have to resolve who we are and whose we are. What God did for you is bigger than what anyone else has done to you. We have to resolve who we are. Let's continue to read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and see what happens in Daniel 3, 3 through 6. So King Nebuchadnezzar being full of himself, sorry, he doesn't say that. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sounds of the horn, flute, zither, leery, harp, pipe, and all of the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. If we're going to have resolve, we have to understand that our enemy does not want us to stay standing. The reality is that he wants us to bow down to something that really can't save us. We have to resolve who we are and we have to resolve not to bow down. You see, Satan will always place sounds around you. It doesn't sound maybe like a horn or a flute, but he'll always play sounds. Maybe it's sounds of rejection from your family and friends. Maybe it's sounds of less than ideal circumstances. Maybe it's sounds of anxiety and fear. Maybe it's the sounds of a diagnosis. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe for you, it's depression and heaviness. We can't always avoid those sounds. So my question to you is what do you do when you hear the sounds of your enemy? The sounds meant to make you bow down. When you mess up and you hear the thoughts of unworthiness, when he plays anxiety and fear around you, when you hear someone talking about you and you're offended, are you going to bow down? You see, we might not physically bow down, but when we hear those thoughts and sounds, if we're not careful, sometimes we can cower to them. How many of you guys threw a Christmas party this year? Anybody? Okay, well, I felt like I wanted to have a Christmas party. I'm a typical overachiever, but I felt like God said, I want you to honor and serve your ministry lead team that, that like I said, Pastor Jim have entrusted me to lead. And so I was like, yes, this is a team of amazing individuals. They serve and serve and serve others. And so I had resolved it in my heart to serve them. So I cooked all the food. I literally cooked for two days, which is a feat in and of itself. We had a Cajun Christmas. It was amazing. Gumbo, jambalaya, all the things. It was awesome. Um, I had my house 
cleaned, which again is in a feat in and of itself, whether I had help or not is irrelevant. It was clean, right? I had the decorations up. My house was looking superb and awesome. And now it is six o'clock. The party starts at 6.30. How many of you guys know right before people come over to your house, there's just this heightened awareness inside the home. There's like this energy that's there. And so there's a lot of things that still need to be done. And I'm kind of frantically running around. And I look over to my left and I see my husband standing there. He just... He's like standing there with his hands in his pockets. And God came down and he spoke to me. And he said, that man needs an assignment. <laughs> and I was like, yes, he does. Amen. And so, and so I walked over to him and I said, hey, babe, what you doing? He's like, nothing. And I'm like, can you please cut the salad? I may have said it a little bit more, you know, kind of, we don't know, stern. But anyway... He, he, he then proceeds. What I don't, didn't know is that he was in an argument with some of my girls about which pants they were going to wear. So he's already got this frustration that's building up. And he goes into the kitchen and he opens up the drawer and pulls out the knife with the cover on it. Okay. And uh, then he proceeds to slam the door shut. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't just slam the door shut. Doesn't he know I've been working for two days? Like, I was hot. Remember, we talked a little bit about that, that temper that I'm still, God's working on me. But anyway, so I go over to him. And he's got the knife with the cover on it. And I proceed to pull it out of his hand. Again, the cover's on it. I'm not crazy. And, and about that time, he decides to pull back. And what happens? I slit my finger wide open. It is 6.08. The party starts at 6.30. Do we have the picture of my finger? Oh, I know it. It was so terrible. It was terrible. Um, so anyway, I, I proceed to go to the urgent care at 6.08. Kevin is calling me and he's like, hey, we can call the party off. Like we don't have to do this. We don't have to do this. And I wonder if that isn't a picture of us. We're all excited. We're on fire for God. We feel like he's given us purpose. We get saved and we're like, yes, Lord, I wanna do what you've called me to do. We wanna serve others. We wanna be used by him. So we start planning and we start putting things together. But then somehow along the way, we get cut. Sometimes the cut was caused by our own dysfunction. Sometimes the cut was caused by someone else. And sometimes the cut was just caused by our circumstances. We get cut and the reality is it hurts. You see, I could have allowed myself to call the party off. I could have said no, everyone would have understood. I could have bowed down to my own attitude dysfunction. I could have bowed down to my marriage dysfunction. I could have even bowed down to my physical dysfunction because I couldn't pick up any plates. <clears throat> but instead, I chose to have the party anyway. And because of that, people were blessed. You see, bowing down is when we allow our cuts to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. It's when we hear the sounds of the enemy meant to get us off track and instead of taking those thoughts captive or instead of bringing those situations and fears to God, we try to alleviate them by other means. So how do you bow down? Maybe when you encounter the sounds of pain, you're like, I'm out, and you just quit. Maybe when you hear the sound of inadequacy like I did, 
You, you go to work and you try to prove yourself, obsessed with your job, not paying any attention to your family. Maybe when you hear the sounds of offense or rejection, you bow down by isolating yourself. You don't open yourself up to anyone. You don't go to that small group anymore. You Netflix binge all night. Maybe for you it's food. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's shopping. And listen to me, those things in and of themselves are not bad. But when we use them to escape our pain, rather than running to Jesus with it, we are essentially bowing down. Let's look at a quick verse when Jesus heals a man that had been unable to stand for years. He had literally been sick for years and he is laying on a mat, a mat that he had been laying on for years. He found the man laying there and he asked them, do you want to be healed? And I believe that God is asking some of you that very same question today. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The man obviously says yes. And then let's look at what God says in John 5, 8. He says, rise, take up the bed and walk. You see, Jesus is in the healing business, but he needs us to take up the thing that has cushioned our dysfunction in order to produce it. He needs us to walk in the victory that he has already given us, but we have to pick up the things. We have to refuse to bow down. We have to resolve who we are and we have to resolve not to bow down. Let's continue to read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As we know, the king made an image, as someone full of themselves would do, and they refused to bow down to it. Then the leaders of that day go to the king and they say this, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, so literally they bring him before, before the king and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knowing that they are gonna have to face certain death, knowing that they could go into the furnace. They say this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. If you are going to throw us into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But get this, but even if he doesn't. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We have to resolve who we are. We have to resolve not to bow down. And we have to resolve to surrender our wills. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. That's so powerful. I think sometimes we go to God with ultimatums. Like if you motivate me, then I'll go to the gym and work out, right? If you deliver me from anger, then I can be used by you. Then I can do what you've called me to do. If you deliver me from anxiety or fear, then I'll get connected. Then I'll join a small group. If you heal me from depression and anxiety, then maybe I'll, I'll serve on the dream team. My question to you this morning is what if he doesn't? You see, I told you a little bit about my story about the Jones family heritage. And for years, I have struggled with anger and heaviness. And not that long ago, I find myself in the same struggle again. You see, I've been working on myself for years, been counseling for about two and a half years now, trying to resolve it. And I thought that I had beaten it. 
but I found myself back in this toxic mind frame. It was like this cloud of heaviness and depressing thoughts surrounded me. It's almost like I couldn't function. I found myself not wanting to do anything. I didn't want to clean. I didn't want to cook. I began to believe the lies of the enemy, that I couldn't be the wife I was supposed to be. I couldn't be the mother I was supposed to be. And I certainly couldn't be the leader that God had called me to be if I felt this way. Let me tell you something, those feelings are real. But we cannot allow ourselves to bow down to them. You see, I had this idea in my head. I had this picture of being perfect. And if I couldn't be perfect or good enough, I was better just not doing anything. Truth be told, I was really angry. I was angry with God and I kept asking him, why? Why have you not set me free? Why do I still have to struggle with this? Maybe for you it's not, it's not depression or, or heaviness. Maybe it's addiction. I don't know what it is that, that the enemy has you convinced you can't break free from. I was frustrated and I felt totally defeated and honestly, sorry for myself. So I secretly decided that I was not gonna get out of bed I wasn't going to do anything until he supernaturally took the pain away. But God brought me to this very scripture where it says, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I will not. It's so powerful. Even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to the image. It instantly reminded me of Jesus. He knows that he's going to get tortured. He knows that he's going to get spit on. He knows that he's going to be humiliated. He knows that he's going to be rejected. He knows that it's about to happen, and he's afraid, and he's in pain. But look at what it says in Matthew 26. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And he said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But then he says this, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, we have to be willing to surrender our picture perfect idea of deliverance. Aren't you glad that Jesus did? Let me tell you something. Sometimes God uses your wound to draw you closer to him. Sometimes he has you walk through hurt so that others can be healed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that even if it didn't happen like they thought in their mind, that God had a plan and they trusted him. They trusted him. Knowing that they were going to literally face a furnace, death, they trusted him. Do you know that God has a plan for your pain? And he has a magnificent plan to deliver you from it. But even if it doesn't happen the way that you think it should, will you continue to trust him? Even when you don't see results from your diet right away, will you keep going? Even if you don't see your finances start to get into alignment after you tithe, or maybe you gave at the legacy offering, will you continue to be faithful? Even when your boss is unfair to you and keeps passing you over promotion after promotion, will you continue to work under his leadership? Even if your children are rebellious and you're thinking, God, this doesn't make sense. I didn't raise them this way. I raised them in the church. 
Are you gonna continue to trust God? Maybe for you it's your marriage and you're thinking, dear Lord Jesus, this is not what I had pictured. This is not what I thought marriage was gonna be like. Are you gonna continue to love your spouse with everything in you? Are you gonna continue to serve them even when they're not nice to you? Even if, if we want to see the miracles in our lives, we have to resolve to surrender our will. Even if he doesn't. Let's see what that type of resolve, what that type of determination caused. And then it says in verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was so mad with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he commanded some of the strongest, biggest, baddest dudes in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace. You see, we have to resolve who we are. We have to resolve not to bow down. We have to resolve to surrender our will. And then we have to resolve to face the flames. I want you to realize that your resolve is going to trigger opposition. You see, obedience to God always activates opposition. It says that he heated the fire up seven times hotter. Some of you guys are facing some fires that seem a little hotter, and I'm here to tell you that you're not doing anything wrong. You're literally walking in the will of God. That's a sign that you're moving in the right direction. Let me put it this way. If you're not encountering opposition in your life, you might not be in the will of God. And I'm also here to tell you that God hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He is right there with you. He understands that the threat is real, that the pain is real. He understands that it's, that it's hard, but he has a plan. I wanna look at another scripture and this is David talking and he is one of my favorite Bible characters. I've shared this scripture before on stage, but I just think it's such a powerful picture of facing the flames. You know, David was known as a man after God's own heart because he understood something about this fight of faith. And he says in Psalms 23, five, says it like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You see, we have to face our enemies. It's when we face the flames, when we face those things that are difficult, that God is able to provide the anointing, when he's able to provide the overflow. I'm here to tell you that that situation that you find yourself in, that's really hard, that you think God has left you at, God's about to use it. He's about to use it to take you to a new level of anointing. What that means is, you know, the Lord prepares a place for me in the presence of my enemies. When you start seeing that same addiction that you've been struggling with pop up, you know what I'm talking about. When you start seeing that fear, that anxiety, you're like, I thought it was gone and here it is again. Whatever it is that the, the enemy is using, when you start seeing those things, don't take it as a sign of discouragement. That's kind of like a gas tank. When you see your empty light on, what that means is you need to go get filled up. So it says that he prepares a place for you in the presence of your enemies. So he is getting ready to feed you, but he needs you to face your enemies. He needs you to take those things that are hurting you, that you're struggling with to him so that he can heal you. Let's keep reading. 
The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were the biggest, baddest dudes in the army. This is a side note. But as you continue to walk in obedience with God, not everyone that is on the journey with you will be able to withstand the flames. Sometimes you're going to see people drop to your right and to your left. And it's hard because you love those people. But you can't allow yourself to stop. And this is why. Let's pick up in verse 25. The guard said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Remember, they said that those, those guys, those army dudes, those big bad fellas wrapped them. They wrapped their wrists and their feet. And it says, the guard said, look, I see four men. So they weren't alone in the fire. They weren't alone in the fight. And they were unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a head of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. I love that. It goes on to say in verse 29 that the king worshiped God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. I love that. They, they faced the flames, the very thing that should have killed them. The very thing that should have killed them. And they were not harmed at all. You see, the only thing that the thing that was designed to destroy them burnt were the cords that were wrapped around their hands and their feet. You see, God didn't cause the flames, but he will use them to set you free. God's word says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It also says that he works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's got a plan for your pain today. He wants to set you free. We have to resolve who we are. We have to resolve not to bow down. We have to resolve to surrender our will. And we have to resolve to face the flames. 